The disciples were asked, Who do you say that I am? At the Transfiguration, they saw who Jesus was. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. The disciples were sleeping, and as they awoke, they saw His glory, revealing who He was and who He had always been before His incarnation. Who was He? God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word, glorified before their eyes. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Mountaintop experiences have a way of changing lives, and if there ever was an ultimate mountaintop experience, the apostles Peter, James, and John were the privileged few to observe the glory of the Son of God like no other. In a study titled, Jesus Glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, Pastor Xavier describes the scene for us from Matthew chapter 17, and just what lesson we take away from the experience. Have you ever had the privilege of experiencing God's fellowship in a very special way, where He has allowed you to learn some very important lessons necessary for life? I'm not talking about experience or emotions. I'm talking about a time when you've spent with God whether it be in a retreat, whether it be in your devotional time, whether it be just going home, driving the car and spending some time with God or in the study of the Word, and God has met you, and you have met with God, and He has taught you some important lessons that has prepared you for life, and you dare not forget them. And He has cleared out a lot of rubbish, enabling you to step forward and to move on in your Christian experience. Such is the case that we find here in chapter 17 of Matthew, verses 1 through 13, in the transfiguration here on the mount. We want to look to three things regarding these 13 verses. The first is the glorification at the transfiguration, verses 1 and 2. Secondly, the conversations at the transfiguration, verses 3 through 8. And then we want to finish up with the proclamation due to the transfiguration, verses 9 through 13. Let me read the passage, and then we'll move on through the sections. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, brought them up into the high mountain by themselves, and was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came from the, down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say Elijah must come first? Then Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. 
Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Verses 1 and 2 gives us the glorification at the transfiguration. Notice the occasion is six days after Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi. Verse 1 tells us. Luke's gospel tells us that it was eight days after these sayings in Luke 9.28. Is there a contradiction? No. Matthew and Mark tell us six days. Luke tells us after these sayings. So most likely Luke includes the day of the confession and the day of the transfiguration. And that makes up the eight. But this is the occasion. Remember, Peter has just gave the confession at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus is the son of the living God. By direct revelation, remember, not by his own intellect. We need to be careful as we think that we can come to a conclusion on our own intellectual faculties that Jesus is God and that He is the Savior of the world. That is an object and a work of the Spirit of God to make alive in my life. No intellectual power or ability can ever bring us to that point. It is by God's grace and His revelation by His Spirit. It's interesting that all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record the transfiguration right after the confession of Caesarea Philippi. Therefore, the connection is vital. For now the Father would allow Peter, James, and John to see what had been revealed to them only by faith. Interesting that right now we believe that Jesus is the Messiah by faith, but one day we shall see Him face to face, just like they did. Whenever God says something once, it's sufficient that we should pay attention to it. But when God records something three times in the same order and chronology, then we need to study the scriptures because there is a great importance there. And so the vital connection is that it follows the very same order and the connection between the confession of Caesarea Philippi and the transformation or the translation there in the Mount of Transfiguration. The pivotal key verse that connects and relates the two events is found in verses 28 of chapter 16, where Jesus promises that some disciples would not taste death till they would see the Son of Man coming in His glory. Now the disciples involved are the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Now they had seen Jairus' daughter raised from the dead, they would also be privileged enough to see the Lord in His passion at the Garden of Gethsemane. And here now they're going to be privileged enough to see the Lord transfigured. The location is a high mountain. Tradition locates it in Mount Tabor. But the common consensus and accepted view is that it is Mount Hermon. Due to the close relationship between chapters 16 and 17, they were up there in the northern part of Israel, uh, by the Golan, and there at the foot of Mount Hermon, where the, one of the headwaters of the Jordan River, and it is there we believe that he went up in the summit of the mount, and there the transfiguration took place. Now, the transfiguration of Jesus was into his glorified state, verse 2 says. He was transfigured before them, uh, his face shined like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Notice it was before them. 
the privilege that they had here. There is no expositor. There is no preacher. There is no teacher that can do justice to this passage here in Matthew. It is something that we have to take by faith and understand it as far as we can, but we will never understand exactly all that happened because it is just beyond our understanding. Jesus Christ here was transfigured, glorified before their eyes. Mark 9.3 says, As no fuller on earth could bleach them, speaking about his clothes. And then Luke 9.29 says, Became dazzling white. The word transfigured is a word metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis from it. To change form, literally. But the form and the change is from the inside out. Jesus did not lay his body aside and then take on the form of God, but he and his human body was transfigured, metamorphosed from the inside out, a glorification of Jesus Christ completely. It's interesting that Luke is the only one that tells us that this took place as Jesus was praying. The purpose of Jesus going up to the mountain was to pray, not to show off. Not to impress the disciples, but to have fellowship with the Father. It was during this time that this took place. Luke 9.32 tells us that the disciples were sleeping. And as they awoke, they saw His glory. Here these guys are given a privilege beyond the other nine. And what are they doing up in the mountain? They're sleeping. It's not the first time they've fallen asleep. Reminds me of people in the congregation sometimes. <laughs> but as their eyes opened up, they saw His glory. Completely. Jesus was transfigured into the glorious state, revealing who He was and who He had always been before His incarnation. Who was He? God. John 1, 1 and 1, 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 16 about the mystery of godliness, how God was justified in the flesh, seen of angels and men, and glorified into glory. Incredible mystery. How do we understand that? We don't. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And there are certain things that we have to be careful lest we think that we have to understand everything and therefore we don't trust God. I don't understand everything. I don't have all the answers for the Bible. That bugs people sometimes. They come and ask me questions. They say, well, how about that? I say, I don't know. They go, you don't know? I say, no, I don't know. <laughs> and if you don't know, don't say you do. Don't just make up an answer because God will hold you responsible for what you say. And so... Here we see the glorified state of Jesus completely. Verses 3 through 8, we move on to the conversations at the transfiguration. The first one is Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus in verse 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. Mark the distinction. They appeared to the disciples, but they spoke to Jesus. Moses and Elijah did not speak to the disciples. 
they spoke to Jesus, yet they appeared to the disciples. That must have blown their mind. For Elisha had been dead 900 years and Moses 1,400. And by dead meaning he left this earth because Elisha never died, he was transfigured. Moses died and, and God buried him secretly and then Satan tried to dispute for his body, Jude 9 tells us. We don't know where he buried him. But here I have a beautiful type, two types from these two men. First of all, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Who are they speaking to? Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But more than that, Elijah is a beautiful type of those who will be raised from the dead physically, or Moses is, and Elisha is a type of those who will never die, who are alive at the rapture of the church. They're translated. They never see physical death. Both of these are there before the disciples, and they're speaking to Jesus. What are they speaking to him about? The conversation was about his decease, which was going to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Luke 9.31 tells us that. The word decease speaks and means exodus. It was speaking about his going to Jerusalem, dying on the cross, going to the grave, going down to Hades, being raised from the dead. It spoke of victory, redemption. As much as the exodus of Egypt spoke of victory and redemption, for dead men don't walk. But see, this is nothing new. Jesus has told the disciples already. As a matter of fact, Peter had rebuked Jesus for saying he was going to die. But remember, from Caesarea Philippi, he never mentions his death without his resurrection. Never. But all they hear is death. Much like us. God begins to deal in our life and he starts showing us what has to go out of our life. And all we do is we concentrate on what we have to give up and we don't see what we're gaining. When God allows tribulation to come, we get so bound by the tribulation, we don't get caught up by His love and His care for us and His wisdom. And we get blown away, and all we hear is the negative, and we don't embrace the positive. We haven't changed, have we? The conversation also regarded the things of the kingdom. We get that in the last verse of chapter 16. Jesus says they would see him coming in his kingdom. They would not die physically before they would see Jesus coming back in his kingdom. How could that be? They all died physically. Jesus hasn't come back. Where did they see that? Up at the Mount of Transfiguration. If you will, they saw the second coming of Christ in capsule form. A miniature second return. A sneak preview, if you will. They saw it, for he says there, you will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In that present time, they saw future things. The same account in Luke 9, 27, Jesus says they would see the kingdom of God present. So they saw the kingdom present. It had arrived. And then in Mark 
9.1, Jesus says they will see the kingdom of God. It had come. Past tense. So they presently saw the kingdom that was still future already had arrived in the past. What are you saying, Xavier? God allowed them to see as God sees in past, present, and future of the kingdom all at one time. Interesting. So the conversation was also regarding the kingdom, the things to come. The next conversation between Peter and the Lord. Peter speaks to Jesus in verse 4. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Doesn't Peter sound spiritual? We, we dress up our, our, our vocabulary, our conversation with spiritual decor to appear spiritual before men. But God sees clear through it. Luke 9.33 tells us that Peter said this as he saw that Elijah and Moses were departing. He had just opened up his eyes. He saw the glorified Christ and they were just done. They were leaving. It teaches us three things about Peter. Number one, Peter wanted to prolong the experience, and I can't blame him. It would have been tremendous. But remember, every mountaintop experience will come to an end. You go to a retreat, God deals with you. You spend some time on your own, and God meets you some morning. But you know what? You've got to come down from that mountain. Jesus came down from the Sermon on the Mount, and the leopard met him. Jesus is going to come down from here to the transfiguration. There's going to be a demon-possessed boy, and the disciples can't cast him out. We live down at the foot of the mountain. We do not live on the top of the mountain. We have those experiences, but that's not where we live, people. But there are places where we get taught some very important things, and we shouldn't forget them on the way down. Secondly, Peter was only thinking of the three disciples, not the nine that were down at the foot of the mountain. It is good for us. We get so wrapped up about us in the immediate at the exclusion of others. Do you have a favorite drink at home and you don't let nobody touch it? My cookies. My drink. It must be because you love others more than yourself. Thirdly, Peter made the mistake of giving equality to Moses and Elijah that belonged only to Jesus Christ. Three tabernacles. Moses, Elijah, you, Lord. No, wrong, Peter. You're going to make a tabernacle, make one for Jesus. He's the only one. He's unique. These other two are just men, servants of God. The one is God who serves man. Big difference. Jesus is the Son of the living God. Peter just said that in the previous chapter. Mark and Luke give us a commentary on why he said this. He says Peter didn't know what to say. <laughs> you ever been around somebody and you don't know what to say and you start having nervous talk? <laughs> then as you walk away, you kind of kick yourself in the rear end. Why did I say that stuff? <laughs> and then the other person walks away. Boy, that guy's burned out. You, know, you just start babbling. <laughs> you know, the, the more you talk, the more you dig a hole yourself. <laughs> Nervous talk. 
The next conversation is the father as he speaks to the three disciples, verses 5 and 6. He says, while he was still speaking, I like that, the father interrupted Peter. Why? Because it wasn't worth hearing. <laughs> it's just silly stuff. Dumb. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. The declaration was instructional, much like to Moses at Mount Sinai in the cloud depicting divine presence and Shekinah glory. But there's a difference. Don't confuse them. Moses was the only one that could go up to the mount to meet with God. Here the disciples walked up with God. Moses could not see God. He could only see his afterglow. These men saw God in his glorified state. Moses walked down to tell what God said. These men walked down with God. What a difference. Three things the Father says. They're instructional for the disciples and for us. First, this is my beloved Son. What does the Father mean by this? Put it in the context of what Peter has just said. The Father is saying, don't worship men, but worship my Son. Worship no man. Today we have pastor worship. Today we have church worship. Today we have Christianity worship. You need to worship Jesus Christ and no one but Jesus Christ. In whom I am well pleased. That means my son has never, ever failed me. Men always do. In Him, I am well pleased. All men and women fail God. They're imperfect. Thirdly, and most important, hear Him. In this, He says, He is the epitome and the ultimate revelation of God. And what He says is my word. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that God is said to be the word. And the word reveals God. For that reason, it is important that you know the Scriptures and follow the Scriptures and obey the Scriptures. Not a man, not a church, not a movement. Don't let people hype you up in your emotion, merchandising you, caring for themselves, giving an appearance of spirituality when in all times they want to be ministered unto rather than to minister to you. You need to understand that. Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses prophesied that there would be a prophet who God would raise up much like unto himself and God would require at the hand of every man and woman every word that he declared. Hear him. The disciples didn't understand everything. The scribes and Pharisees were contesting him always. Jesus says, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Do you know the scriptures? Can you defend your faith to a Mormon, to a Jehovah Witness? Can you defend your faith and proclaim your Lord to a pagan, to an atheist? Can you defend your faith as Satan comes and attacks you? Do you know the scriptures? So, the declaration was instructional. They were to learn. As we gather together every time, it's to be instructional. Not to hear my words, but what is God dealing with you at? What is going on in your life? Where are you at in Christ? Are you growing? Are you pressing? 
Are you dying to self? Are you being transformed? Are you obeying? Are you enjoying your Christianity? Or are you just enduring? Which one? Pastor Xavier Reese, closing with a challenge to take action on the revelation of God's simple truths to each one of us today. And although this study won't conclude until our next get-together, you can still request a copy of what you heard today and what's planned for next time. And having your own copy is a great way to get the most out of this teaching titled, Jesus Glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. Plus, it's a convenient way to pass along to a friend. It's available on CD for just $4. Again, ask for it by name, Jesus Glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, or let us know today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, if you've ever entertained the thought that getting this or that would make your life complete, then we've got what you're looking for next time on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com